0: Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
1: Okay, welcome everybody. My name is Regina Brink. This is a presentation called Access to the Ballot, a History. And we are the Multicultural Affairs Committee. And without any further ado, I'd like to introduce our chair. Cheryl Cummings.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Regina. Welcome, everybody. I'm going to echo that. Um, This is a topic that is so important. And I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I started reading a book a few days, well, earlier today. um, And it's interesting because in 19... 66, a year after the Voting Rights Act had been passed, Dr. King was giving an assessment that it was not a piece of law that was being fully implemented, and at the same time talking about the importance of fully implementing this law. Um, So I just think, I'm really excited that our group is going to do this presentation because I think it truly emphasizes the importance of voting, the importance of having a way of um, getting, making sure your voice is heard. And that I think as Regina writes in the description that sometimes things that are designed to negatively impact one group has a negative impact on lots of groups. So I'm going to stop talking and turn it over to Regina and and the committee. Thank you so much, Regina, for doing this.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. And we have with us tonight or this uh, early afternoon evening in California, we have Michael Garrett from Texas. We have Pam Metz, and she is from California. And we have Gabe Lopez Cafati from Florida. So we're, we span two coasts and we want to welcome our presenters. Pam will be our timekeeper. So when she says your time is up, the time is actually up. <laughs> so the first thing I'd like to do is listen to Martin Luther King Jr. So the holiday was last week. But his message is for always. We don't want people to think that, okay, I checked off. I celebrated Martin Luther King. Now the work is over. It's by no means over. If you resonate with his message, if it means anything to you, then there's plenty of work to do. In this speech, it's called Give Us the Ballot. And I'll contextualize it. He talks about give us the ballot so that we can peacefully advocate for our own rights, we won't have to come to the federal government if full voting is here because we'll be able to vote and exercise our voices. Um, He goes on to all the benefits of giving the ballot to people that are disenfranchised. And then this is the part where he says, in order to get this done, there's four things that have to happen. And he'll go through three, and I'll tell you the fourth after we hear the snippet. Okay,
3: Angela.
0: This dearth of positive leadership from the federal government is not confined to one particular political party. Both political parties have betrayed the cause of justice. The Democrats have betrayed it by capitulating to the prejudices and undemocratic practices of the Southern Dixocrats. The Republicans have betrayed it by capitulating to the blatant hypocrisy of right-wing reactionary Northerners. These men so often have a high blood pressure of words and an anemia of deeds. (laughs) The hour is late. The clock of destiny is ticking out. We must act now before it is too late. A second area in which there is need for strong leadership is from the white northern liberals. There is a dying need today for liberalism which is truly liberal. What we are witnessing today in so many northern communities is a sort of quasi-liberalism which is based on the principle of looking sympathetically at all sides. It is a liberalism so bent on seeing all sides that it fails to become committed to either side. It is a liberalism that is so objectively analytical that it is not subjectively committed. It is a liberalism which is neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. We call for a liberalism from the North which will be thoroughly committed to the ideal of racial justice and will not be deterred by the propaganda and subtle words of those who say, Slow up for a while, you're pushing too fast. A third source that we must look to for strong leadership is from the moderates of the white South. It is unfortunate that at this time the leadership of the white South stems from the close-minded reactionaries. These persons gain prominence and power by the dissemination of false ideas and by deliberately appealing to the deepest hate responses within the human mind. It is my firm belief that this close-minded, reactionary, recalcitrant group constitutes a numerical minority. There are, in the White South, more open-minded moderates than appears on the surface. These persons are silent today because of fear of social, political, and economic reprisals. God grant that the white moderates of the south will rise up courageously without fear and take up the leadership in this tense period of transition.
3: Okay.
1: And the rest of that was talking about well it go, it's a long speech but I Um, urge you to check it out. He then went out to talk about the fourth piece, which is strong Black leadership. And he went into great detail about what that looked like. So I want people to get a full understanding. I just couldn't play the whole wonderful speech. So by by all means, check it out. So the first thing we're going to do is take you through a history of voting rights in America. And What I want to let you know is that people with disabilities up until, well, starting in 1965 and maybe up till the 1970s when there was the sit-in that some of you may be familiar with where they insisted that the Rehab Act be implemented because some laws were there and they just weren't being implemented. Up until then, people with disabilities could be told they were unfit to vote. There was no help reading ballots, marking ballots, and they also told people with disabilities if you can't get into the voting place too bad. So um, we're going to highlight some things in history and just keep in mind that people with disabilities were also disenfranchised during this whole history. Okay, we're going to start with Pam and she's going to give you about a five minute talk
4: about reconstruction. Okay, good evening, everybody. I'm going to go through reconstruction and I'm going to use the timeline because it's the the most thorough timeline I've seen on reconstruction and you know, reconstruction was basically from 1863 to 1877, somewhere around that time um, It started with Abraham. Hello. Yes, we can hear you. Okay. My phone is. I, I don't want it to cut out on me. Oh my goodness. It, it started with Abraham Lincoln in 1863 signing into. He presents legislation for the Emancipation. It, yeah, Emancipation Proclamation, about freeing slaves and freeing. um, uh, Men's rights. And they would, in the keyword, and they would listen,
5: it's men's rights.
4: 1865, Robert Lee Lee, he surrenders, and the war, it ends in 1865 at Appomattox. In 1865, the 13th Amendment was uh, ratified and freed. 13. Okay, 13 amendment was ratified and free, freed everyone except people in prison, except prisons. In 1867, Andrew Johnson he basically declared that the Negro man could not show, could not could not do anything in government because they did not have the ability or the strength to do anything that involved government, and that was Andrew Johnson. He was That was his annual speech to Congress and in, in, um, interesting speech. I listened to some of it and he said no no government could be successful in the hands of the Negro man, period. Isn't that ironic? Mm-hmm.
5: In 18...
4: 18- on june july 9th 1868, the 14th amendment was ratified and gave citizenship to all everyone in who was born on american soil born on u.s soil so that means everybody who was born here was who was basically they were citizens and had equal protection equal protection under the law Okay, this is a word I'm going to love to say, in 1868 in Apalopos, is that how you say it, Regina, <laughs> Louisiana? Um, they had, a, there was a mass, mass, mass massacre and there were two weeks and 260 people that, that mostly African Americans were killed, black men and women. And, and the, because the white Louisianas were rebelling over the amendment to, to, uh, excuse me, it was 250 people. Yes. And it it was the, they were, the white men were mad because the, there was a state constitution guarantee guaranteeing black men, the right to vote. And that was. 1815 and 1817 at 1817 and eighteen seventy seventy seven zero the Fifteenth Amendment was ratified, giving 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 people, everybody the right to vote, no matter their race, color, or creed. And there could, uh, but conditions could be. Um, The conditions could be imposed if and the if conditions could be imposed and they were imposed um things like i don't know counting beans in the barrel and or in not in the barrel in the bowl in the jar and things like that it was imposed in 1873 there was the colfax max massacre very similar to the one in louisiana after an 1872 election that was basically, it sounds like to me, that people didn't quite like what happened, did they? Installed a Republican government. And remember there was Dixiecrats and Republicans and the Dixiecrats were basically the the white side and the Republicans were at that point point in history, um, more on the African-American side in that part of history. They violently took over the, co- the courthouse because they didn't like what was happening in in 18... What is it? 18? In 1877, uh, who was it? Ulysses Grant.
3: He, he signed
6: the...
3: He
4: signed the electrical... What do you... Electrical? Electrical. Commission Act. Thank you. I couldn't get the word out. Commission Act. I'm sorry. That was 1877. That was Ulysses S. Grant. Okay. Oh, it, he established a commission. I'm sorry. To 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 about the election between Rutherford and Hayes. There, there had to be some problems during that election day. Somebody cheated, oh, cheated. It was a contested 1870, 1870, 1876 a presidential election. So it sounded like they were trying to figure out who actually won that election. And um, I guess they did figure that out since they still had a president.
3: So it, it seems to
4: me it was. um, and Democrats agreed to give Hayes the election, and that's how it ended. That ended in 1877 is when I think it, under the, the they gave Hayes the election under the agreement that the the federal government would, would remove troops. Doesn't that sound familiar? And isn't that ironic? It's in- interesting. And protecting Black Americans' rights—rights, protecting Black Americans' rights to vote. And we—that's when we, the Ku Klux Klan started to creep into the Southern states. Was around 1876, 1877, and were um, causing problems down in the Southern states. And then the next thing we know, we, and remember, during that whole reconstruction period, there were black mayors in some of the, some, in some of the southern towns. There were some black, uh, there were some black other people in Congress. And there were, I think, um, so we were very much involved in the government of the United States, but we were very much hidden in the government of the United States. They like Andrew Johnson said, the Negro could not, could not be trusted to, to understand how the government worked in the United States. And, and it's, it's very sad to know that we as Black people and as minorities and people with disabilities are still at one, at one point in history going through very similar things today. Uh, especially those with us with disabilities and especially those of us who are blind. And um, that is my part of this timeline. Um, Thank you Pam. History, can I finish? I got one more thing to say. The history of this country is very, very dramatic and very, very sad to some point, but very, very good to some point because we have stuck to the democracy in one way or
1: another. Okay, now I'm now I'll be quiet. Now we'll go to 1877. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now, Thank you so much, Pam. So I drew straws and I got of uh, the Jim Crow era, and it's a long era. So it starts as Pam said with the election of Rutherford B. Hayes. 1877 that compromise they call it the southern compromise i believe and the north withdrew the troops that were guarding the rights of people that were black and other people of color and uh, if you read our timeline we talk about native americans also and we talk about chinese americans and uh, it it There were exclusionary acts and there were a lot of things in the courts where people lost and didn't get sovereignty who were not Black as well. And as we said, we understand people with disabilities were disenfranchised as well during this time period. I want to highlight two stories because I think sometimes history becomes clearer when we hear a story. And I want to highlight the Appaloosa in 1868 which is way before the Jim Crow era started but it was sort of like a rehearsal and that's what I want people to understand that this timeline isn't linear it's not like okay rights were given and then they were taken and then they were given that isn't how it works there were ups and downs and 1868, it's only three years after the end of the Civil War, there was an 18 year old man named Emerson Bentley. He was a white school teacher from Ohio. And he also was one of the editors of the St. Landry Progress, which was a Republican paper. Remember Republicans at this time were the party of Lincoln and they were associated with the freeing of slaves. The state constitution, as Pam said, had just enfranchised Black males and mandated school regardless of the skin color. So, all that summer, there was intimidation, including killing African Americans, because the election, elections had more Republicans elected statewide, including many African Americans. And the people in this parish did did not appreciate it in Appaloosis and was a seat of St. Landry Parish. There was a note left for Mr. Emerson um, Bentley. And it said E.B. Letters E.B. His name beware KKK. And it had a skull and crossbones and a dagger and the dagger was dripping blood. So there were, At this time, there were groups formed and we all know about the KKK, but there was also a group called the Knights of the White Chameleons and a mainly Italian group who called themselves the Innocents. And they would go up and down the streets. They would parade the streets every night and it was a warning to people. So on September 13th, 1868 the republicans in this parish had their meeting and these groups were lining the streets with with guns and weapons and stuff and one of the guns misfired and it almost sparked a riot but people calmed down and everybody left peacefully but bentley who was editor of the newspaper and was there to cover it was threatened by the dixiecrats to publish quote the truth And when the article came out on September 28th, talking about how the Republicans were intimidated by the Democrats, they went to the schoolhouse and in front of all the children that he taught, which were African-American children, they forced him to sign a retraction and brutally beat him, leaving him for dead. He escaped, but there were some African-American men that came to save him. They were attacked. Eventually 250 black men, women and children were killed over the course of two weeks, including the other editor who was white of the St. Landry Progress and his body was displayed in the town square for that two week period. By November, when the federal elections came about, there were no Republican votes in the whole parish and the democratic paper which was the only one, said justice was served from the violent uprising of African-Americans. There was no Republican organization for four years in that parish and no Republican paper in that parish until 1876. And it was almost exactly repeated again in Colfax with the courthouse. Lynching was routinized in the 1890s. It just became routine. And then, of course, there were poll taxes, literacy tests, grandfather clauses and threats, along with outright lynchings, which are murders. So that's what was going on during this time. And I want to tell another story, which happens in April of 1958. Garth Williams is an illustrator, and he illustrated Charlotte's Web, Stuart Little, and The Little House on the Prairie, books that many of us are familiar with. Well, he published a picture book called The Rabbit's Wedding, and it was a children's book, and it pictured a black rabbit Marrying a white rabbit, they were rabbits, they were not dressed in any kind of clothes. They were not trying to be humans. They were rabbits, but people, the segregationists in this uh, town, which was uh, Montgomery, Alabama, decided that This was really bad and they wanted the book banned because they thought it was trying to brainwash children to do interracial marriage. One Senator E.O. Eddins, E-D-D-E-I-N-S, wanted the book burned. There was a librarian from Indiana, but she had moved to Alabama. Her name was Emily Wheelock-Reed and she wouldn't remove the book. Well, she was under threat and she was being pressured. And in 1957, two years earlier in Montgomery, there was another librarian, Juliet Hampton Morgan, and she committed suicide because of the pressure on her because she was white and stood up with Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King and the people doing the bus boycott. So this was a real thing. Emily knew her. And yet she stood up and she eventually took the book and put it in the reference shelf so that you had to ask for the book. But she wouldn't take it out of the library. And Ken Jones has written a play called The Alabama Story because he read her obituary in 2000. She lived (laughs) a long life and it inspired him to write the play. Incidentally, um, Mr. Williams that wrote the book said he just loved the color contrast of the illustrations of the darker and, and the lighter rabbit. He thought it was a beautiful picture. And he also had the book printed in black and white because he couldn't afford to do otherwise. But. When you hear about people banning books and you hear about people threatening school teachers and librarians, I would urge you to remember these stories and remember that real people are affected by some of these policies. And it just, I hope this has brought to life a little bit of what Jim Crow was really like. And now I'll pass this off to Michael Garrett. And he's going to talk to you about some real life experiences during the 60s and 70s with this whole access to the ballot.
7: Good evening, everybody. I wanted to just focus before we get to, you know, the way the timeline reads. It goes from Jim Crow to post Jim Crow and it stops at
3: 1965. But
7: I wanted to focus on primarily the decade of the 1960s, a little bit of the early
3: 1970s. From the perspective of a young black
7: teenager living in a, a lower middle class neighborhood in one of the most conservative big towns in texas trying to
0: understand
7: all of the political ramifications that are taking place during this time and what i remember about that time ultimately boils down to what i call the four v's there were voices violence victims and victories. What you had, I believe, in that in that in the decade of the six were voices that started to emerge, all really talking about basically the same thing, but having a little different slant on it, a little different view. But these voices came very uh, uh, I don't want say loud, but they became uh, so much a part of the fabric of society back then that you could not miss them. Voices like Malcolm X. Voices like Medgar Evers.
3: Voices like Martin Luther King. And even, I'll throw in, Stokely, and Bobby because even though it went from nonviolent protests to
7: radicalism on, on 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 either side, they were basically looking for the same result. Wanting for people of color to be let into society from a social economic and political framework, and what happened to all of these gentlemen their 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 futures were shortened by by society. Malcolm, of course, was assassinated in nineteen sixty three medgar right along about the same time he was a strong voting rights advocate beautiful family wonderful man read his story if you can edgar evers we all know the history of dr martin luther king So carmichael ended up having to leave the country and so those were the voices that, that emerged during that time, sending this message of, let us be a part of society. Violence
6: ensued
7: during that era. Of course, we all know about the march, you know, Edmund Pettus Road in, in Alabama. Those 600 marchers were, were, were harassed by, by the Alabama authorities. But there were other acts of violence in other large cities around the country. And I'm witnessing this and trying to figure it all out, trying to put it into place, because there were some things that happened from a political standpoint that should have given given black people and other minorities the right to vote, the right for fair employment, and all of those things. I'm trying to weigh this and look at all of this, but you had you had the, that occurrence in Alabama. You had the riots in Detroit, the riots in Chicago, the riots in Watts, and even in Houston. In fact, this morning I was talking to a gentleman who was uh, put in jail as, as as a result of the disturbances that were held here in Houston during that time. But not only, well, let me say this, that when a, a, a people are are oppressed, and when, even though the message of nonviolent protest dominated the environment, the attempt to move power structure, sometimes that pent-up frustration breaks out. And, that caused, I believe, those sit-ins those, and those violent activities in the... In. And, and the victimization comes along as a result of, of violence and a, and, a, and a result of hatred and a result of segregation. And there were a lot of people who lost, some lost lives, some lost limbs, some lost opportunities, the threats were still there, uh, economic threat, social threats, and people in my neighborhood were somewhat intimidated by people ac- across, the, across the freeway. Because that's where the dividing line was. And so we had to be careful how we uh, matriculated through society then so that we could get the right kind of education, to show ourselves equipped to, to gain uh, meaningful employment. But we were victimized by the system at the time. But the, the, the irony was that during the 60s, there, there were also victories. Just as we look at this timeline, in 1964, President Johnson signed the the Civil Rights Act. 1965, the Voting Rights Act. He signed also uh, other key legislation that improved or, or that was designed to improve the lives of people of color and uh, even that year, he signed the the resolution for White Cane Safety Day. So, mm-hmm. he was looking out for President Johnson. had a, He did a lot of things that people may not give him credit for, but in terms of healing uh, the racial divide, or at least attempting to, and and setting rights in motion for people with disabilities, especially those of us who still celebrate White Cane Safety Day, that was an important act as we move forward. And just another little sidelight, uh, while that, t- that decade was so uh, turbulent, in my opinion, it was the greatest, uh, one of the victories, was, it was the greatest uh, explosion of music Go back and look at all of the groups, all of the Detroit groups that, that flourished during that time. We had beautiful music as we moved from the 60s to the 70s. Uh, that era opened up protests. As I moved to college, we started the Kent State protest. Uh, even in as we moved to, to 1973, we had the, 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 the Rehabilitation Act and, and all those things. I believe that that stuff stemmed from the 1960s as we moved toward or out of and into the post Jim Crow era.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. That was amazing. And I agree about the music. <laughs> and some of the best protest songs as well were written during that time. And they're still, um, they're still sung today. So, um, I also wanted to uh, get us to modern times, and Gabe Lopez Cafari is going to do that for us. So, qué pasó <laughs> What is happening now?
8: <laughs> oh my God! So much is happening today, <laughs> and uh, I want to start off by saying uh, that I I feel very very honored. Um, Having a participation in this important discussion not only uh, because I am a not African American, but I am also a naturalized citizen. So it's 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 always an honor for me to participate in something that talks about the evolution of the rights that we enjoy today. So picking up right away where um, Michael left off. Um, 1965 the um actually the uh community that was uh, primarily affected with the uh, regulations was uh, the native uh Indians because the federal government uh passed some regulations that wanted involvement in uh their um actual businesses and actual uh daily life activities however they didn't have uh some of the rights so basically it was a uh, it was a very uh one-way street in which the federal government was trying to intervene but not giving them full rights Believe it or not from 1965 uh we jumped to 1984 when um minorities uh get uh finally a, a- another glimpse of um of, of hope into participating in the um electoral system of the united states with uh which uh, happens with the let me see I, I don't like the name of this law and that's why i keep forgetting it <laughs> yes it it was the Voting accessibility for the elderly and handicapped.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of a mental <laughs> uh, block.
8: <laughs> yes, yes, mental block, handicap. Oh, well, anyway, this was the first law that actually um, included uh, some, some provisions for accommodations for either persons who were el- elderly or had a disability to be able to vote. And they were only in certain... Um, polls. uh, So it was not like today where we go to every uh, polling center and we know that we will have uh, accessibility and um, we will have uh, the right to independently and secretly vote. From there, um, we go basically into 1990, July 26, famous ADA, which includes all aspects of voting, like registration, marking your ballots, and um, participating in every part of an election process. In 1993, the National Registration Voter Voter Act um, decided that uh, all persons with disabilities had uh, the opportunity to vote in any site, not only in selected polling sites. Um, Then 2002, of course, um, HAVA, the Help America Vote Act. Um, Those of us I know many here in the ACB community who have been involved in accessible voting um, are very familiar with this uh, act because this is the one who that this is the act that really really demands that um there there must be uh an accessible voting solution in every side for persons with disabilities and uh there is um obviously emphasis placed on independence and secrecy of the ballot and uh that is something that uh, Sometimes in some states like Florida, we still kind of struggle with. um, But, you know, um, HABA does does, uh, protect those rights. And um, 2006 comes up and uh, it basically ratifies some of the laws that have been passed and tries to include more persons with disabilities and tries to include other provisions for persons with uh, different or multiple disabilities um we go up to more recent times and um it's it's funny that um that um uh, michael was talking about jim crow jim crow and then we um, talk about the modern era or the present as post Jim Crow. And um, I, I don't know uh, some of the things that have happened in the latest years um, kind of remind us of Jim Crow and uh, some other ones incorporate uh, another another ugly name as this gerrymandering where we see some states um like uh, Florida, Georgia, (laughs) Texas, um, kind of going through a backdoor and not actually being so blatant about voter restriction against minorities, but doing um, things like um, demanding specific types of IDs for voting. taking away some of the voting uh, solutions that we've enjoyed up to now like uh, curbside and uh, just uh, restricting some of the voting sites um, hours um, restricting vote by mail, restricting also the ability to to have um, persons who are not voting, for example people who are, uh, giving water or uh, assistance or food to people who are in line for uh, to vote, so they are restricting all these um, all these activities, and also also through redistricting, making sure that areas that have been traditionally known for high um, percentages of minorities, like African Americans, persons with disabilities, Latinos um making it difficult for them to cast their ballot and uh a funny um not so funny actually <laughs> <A> curious <laughs> note <laughs> uh the those of us obviously in the blind community don't know this um i was uh, y- you can see in the timeline uh that we have uh, put together for the for this discussion that um governor Temp, from Georgia when signing one of these gerrymandering laws um was um was pictured uh while he was signing um in the background he's he's he has a photograph of an um African American labor cotton plantation from the um 1940s and 50s so go, go picture the subliminal message that goes there. Um, the, you know, uh, the recent, more recent acts that have uh, tried to undermine uh, the the democratic process of our country, like January 6th, where um, there was uh, the uh, terrible attack in the Capitol. And obviously, the intention of that attack was to prevent the democratic process to continue. And um, after that, we still see a lot of division in in terms of um, you know between Congress and Senate. Um, uh, uh, and when when we try to protect not only the whole process starting from. The moment where you cast your ballot to the moment in which we transition to uh, the government or the elected officials that have been elected by the people, um, the the laws or the efforts that have been tried to move forward uh, have always experienced uh, road ro- uh, I'm sorry. roadblocks. Uh, whether in the House or in the Senate, uh, like for example, some of the laws in which uh, we almost uh, were able to pass. Um, give me one second. I'm looking
3: for, yes, the HR1,
8: which is um, the people for um i'm sorry the uh right for people to vote act which was passed by democratic um uh, congress but then was blocked uh by a republican senate and um obviously some other legislation some other attempts that were also blocked uh it also encouraging um the the provision of rights of for minorities to vote um also blocked by um some uh, political forces in the GOP and uh also some folks in the Democratic Party like yeah. uh, mansion <laughs> and Cinema. so basically um just to just to come full circle um, Today, we do have the, the awareness and we have the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we know what has happened. And it is amazing how story just kind of repeats itself. And uh, we basically need to learn. And I-, I like to say full circle because the way in which we prevent all these things from happening and prevent all these Legislations that restrict the votes of the the rights of minorities to vote and the access to polling places and the access to our ballot affect one community, one minority, affect all of us minorities, Uh, you know, us persons with disabilities. um, I'd like to uh, finish my part of the presentation with um, something that has inspired me lately and probably we'll hear more about uh, in the next upcoming months, um, which is the, the words of Mamie Till Mobley, who said, what affects one of us, or what affects one minority, better be the business of us all. So... With that, I want to hand it over back to Regina so we can open for discussion, I believe.
1: Yes, I would like to leave time for discussion. I do want to admonish people that we want to stay on topic. And our topic is the intersection of people with disabilities and racial minorities or ethnic minorities and access to the ballot. So I I. Know that this is a big topic and it can go a lot of directions. And I will stop you if I feel that, you know, it's not quite on topic. That doesn't mean that what you say doesn't have merit or that you're not important or valued. It's just that in the interest of time. And I will ask that you keep your remarks to two minutes. Don't worry, I'll keep them on time. (laughs) Pam is our timekeeper. Okay. Okay. Do we have any hands? Angela? Yes, we do. There's Ray Campbell. Okay, go okay. ahead, Ray. Oh,
9: okay. Thank you for this very good uh, presentation, guys. I, I do really appreciate it. Uh, um, I start. I'll start off by saying that I personally am a proponent of voter ID. Like um, I get that out there, but I want to ask this question, and that is. Assuming all sides are well-intentioned and genuine, how do we strike a balance between protecting the integrity of our elections so that we know the results are what, what they say they are, and at the same time, not doing things that unintentionally suppress votes of any minority, including those with disabilities?
1: Okay, who wants to take that one?
3: Let me take a stab at it okay Michael uh, you know for for years, we've
7: conducted elections in this country, and yes there are there are always uh, mishaps and things that happen that if you do in any activity something something might go is going to go wrong. Okay. But for the most part, the elections were 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 uh were done with credibility, uh verified. It was only until I think people were trying to grasp power that we started accusing people and I have a friend in fact, he just passed here recently. We a few years ago, people started getting letters saying, "Oh, you're dead, so you know you can't vote anymore." These were underhanded attempts, I believe, to nullify or cut out the vote. And so I think, I think now these accusations of voter fraud are are embellished. I don't think there's as much voter fraud as, that is out there. I think it's it's an underhanded attempt to increase the power base. So I, I think there's technology uh, uh, available. One man, one vote. You'll...
6: The one person.
9: Yes. I'm sure you win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael, this Republican agrees with you. <laughs>
7: Now, actually, now, now, and, and, may,
8: oh,
9: sorry, well, actually,
7: if I may, sorry, go ahead, let me, say this, okay. let me say this to Regina, uh, as a, as 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 a minister, uh, and and no offense, ladies, uh, when 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 the Bible says man, uh, and I use it in general, it's mankind. So, <laughs> call me a chauvinist <laughs> if you if you if you like, but, I'll
1: call you Reverend.
7: Man, but... Mankind. <laughs> okay.
1: Go ahead, Gabe.
8: And I, I know probably I'm not going to be very popular with, with my comment, um, but I'm going to make it because I, I have been a proponent. I respect the system of this country. I admire it. I love it. I embrace it. Uh, but I think, um, in, 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 uh, in trying to serve transparency and direct democracy, I, I am a proponent of um, eliminating the Electoral College.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's a view of many people. <laughs> yep. Okay, any more hands, Angela?
6: Yes,
10: we have Deanna Noriega.
1: Okay, Deanna.
11: Well, some timeline that you didn't cover was Native American rights to vote. We didn't get the first right to vote until 1924, four years after women. And it didn't spread throughout the entire country until 1964. And there's a a, a lot of pressure on right now from some states that have high Native American populations to refuse us the right to vote because we live in rural areas where there are no street addresses. Yes. <laughs> so it's not, um, it's not a thing of the past. Our democracy is at risk if we don't honor the one person, one vote rule. Because if you decide who has the right to run the country by manipulation, then that is not democracy. And it isn't the democracy that you, the the nation, borrowed from Native Americans to begin with. (laughs) Yes.
1: And (laughs) no more borrowing. (laughs) We we historically don't give it back. No, you don't.
11: (laughs) So um, those are things that, you know, and it is hard for us to get. To a polling place because of distances and, and transportation issues. But it, we have the right to vote, even if we live out on mm. the second road from the highway on the left.
1: <laughs> right. And then there was a whole thing of IDs in, I believe, one of the Dakotas, but I can't remember exactly which state. But they changed. Probably
11: the- South Dakota, because the governor yeah. there has been a real nasty customer against native rights
1: right so they got the address thing fixed and then that legislature put into place something about ids and they had to print them on the reservation and there were groups and i did um contribute to it groups going in and actually they printed like crazy ids for a whole month and um but it was when heidi um High camp was rented, oh. And she had a high Native American vote and the vote went way down. They just couldn't produce the type of ID that they were requiring fast oh, enough. God. So that's one of those things about the IDs. And again, these were people who had been voting and it was just changing the ID to try to affect the amount of people that could actually vote from the reservation. So it is in my timeline and the timeline I should say is on our webpage. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, Multicultural
7: I, I was, was going to mention that too, uh, uh, Regina, Deanna, if you read, if you read our, our timeline, okay. it does address some of the atrocities that affected, uh, native Americans too, uh, dispersing the, the lands. uh, Purposely uh, uh, wiping away their addresses and all all those kinds of things. So we, You know, it it's it's in there. It's in there. Yeah.
0: Thank you.
1: As well as the Chinese American exclusion acts and all yes. those yeah. interesting yes. laws.
11: Yeah. Bring them over to build your railroads, but don't let them vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Thank you, Diana. Who's next, Angela? Next, we have a phone number
10: six eight two five nine seven. Okay. You may unmute.
1: Unmute. And can you give us a 10-minute warning, by the way?
6: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yes, oh, hello,
1: Calandra.
12: Yes, can you all hear me? Yes. Um, first of all, I, I get a kick out of you know, hearing this type of history, and
0: we hear about Martin
12: Luther King and how he helped to um, not only um, uh, help us black people with rights, with our rights, and with the right to vote, but he um, helped people that are black and white. And um, there was really no color to, you know, uh, what do you call it a a preference uh, that he had. So it was just um, a pity that he got shot when he did, but getting off the subject, back in the 1800s, us women were not allowed to vote. And like Deanna said, the votes did not pass for us until the 1960s. So um, we were able to vote and now there are all of these people all of these places where we can vote at and some of us do not have access to them i mean if we go to libraries or we can go online or something like that which is very interesting um what about those that do not have computers or macs or anything um would we be able to vote by telephone And if so, which places can we uh, have access to? So that, that's probably the only thing that I'm going to have here. Thank
1: you. Thank you, Calandra. And I think when we go to uh, being a voter, the phone presents a problem because there's no way to know it's you on a telephone and not someone saying they're you. That That is a difficulty but that's why they have in person voting they allow people to assist you with the ballot or as we want online balloting we would just like it to be returnable so that it's private um we're not when we it's there's not one answer to voting access i guess that's the best way to answer your question it's many layers that have to be present for people to be able to totally have access when they have a disability. Anyone else have anything to add?
6: Uh,
1: um, on the panel? Okay, we'll move to another question.
6: Okay,
10: so. Or comment. Nick and Nick, right, has his,
3: his hand up. Okay, Nick. Hi, um, it's actually... Oh, that's not Nick. Oh, did you mute again?
12: Hi, it's Jessica. Um, oh, Zoom Jessica. Name, my Zoom name is Nick Wright. I'm sorry about that. Um, that's fine. So I um, wanted to ask if anyone on the panel knew when the advent of the... Accessible in-person OCR scanner ballot voting machine came on the scene. Um, I've worked in a vision rehab for probably eleven years now, and we have had um, we've had something like that available ever since. I have a coworker that I think advocated for making it more available in my county. However, I'm wondering how widespread it still is and if anyone knows when it became a thing that was widespread
1: does anyone know and it's not on our timeline i know that (laughs) it's a very good question
4: i don't know
7: exactly if there's a difference she said ocr uh, machines but we we started in in the in the greater Houston area, we started in the 1990s. Uh, Ed Bradley and myself started uh, advocating for uh, accessible voting machines. Once we once we found that they were uh, available, we started in the 1990s when when the act. I can't remember when. Oh, uh, was it was it 1984 when they said or or. Or after the ADA, I can't remember what the timeline says about it. when there must be at least one accessible voting plate, uh, place of uh, in the in the polling in the polling uh, venue. But but once we found out that those machines were available, we 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 got them here in the Greater Houston area about the late 1990s. And we've been we've been we've been using accessible voting machines since then.
1: Yeah, it was similar in California, but they were only at certain spots. Um, they they weren't at every polling place for a long time. I think that happened in the two thousands. But at first, yeah. it was like we had to go to the Society for the Blind, or I can't remember if there was another location. I just remember that was where we always had to go to vote.
4: Um, I know here in Southern California, it was Braille Institute. I'm a Braille Institute. And that was back in 2001, 2000, somewhere in there. And they became more widespread in the county, LA County. I live in LA County around 2005, maybe six, something like that, something like that. Somewhere around there, they became more widespread and more, you found more of them in more Polling places um, around that time frame.
1: Yeah. And now um, here so in our oh, go
4: ahead. Yeah, I remember actually using them to vote in a couple of at least three or four, two or three elections, two or three, four elections, something like that. Hmm.
1: Okay, And I will tell you that here in Sacramento now, and it's probably similar, they have one at every polling place. But the thing is, they might not have it up and running. So I've come in and they've said, oh, we have to get that online. We have to set it up and it it can take a half an hour for them to get it online and set it up. So yeah. Well, they
4: have to have the machine sitting there looking cute, at least.
6: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what, we'll what we have,
7: what we've got now in in our polling place, and I don't live in Harris County anymore, but but our polling place in Fort Bend County, we have accessible machines that, that, that automatically kind of switch over that have the voice, uh, already attached oh, all yeah. in, And it's funny because you go in there and the poll workers, you know, I reach over there and grab the keypad
0: and, <laughs> and they
7: go, what? what, what, I didn't know it because it's, it's Velcro to the machine. Oh, yes, I didn't know yes. what that was. I didn't know what that was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> hey, I'm, hey, just, 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 you know, check, give me my ID number and, I'm, I'm good <laughs> yeah yes
1: yeah and it might have changed similar in sacramento i've actually been doing the email um mail-in ballot and we have two holes on the envelope to do our signature and they say that if we just sign there put it in the envelope and send it back that we don't have to fill out the rest of the envelope and so far that's been true i get that i follow it online and it says your ballot has been received and counted and so yeah um it's not we the only thing is i don't know if it's a blank ballot or a printed out ballot so i still have to get somebody cited to look and make sure it printed so it's still not private but i get one of my i have four children i just get one of them to look (laughs) Okay, but it, I I want that changed. I want us to have a way to do it totally privately.
2: Can I? This is Cheryl. Can I just oh, yeah. say in Massachusetts, yes. we've we've uh, for the last two years, I think Mary can tell me, um, we've been able to use Democracy Live to vote, and okay. and it is. I mean, it's 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 just mind blowing how easy it
6: is. To, mm.
2: You know, I mean, they send you, you get two e- emails. One that says, "like here's your link," and then another one that says, "here's your ID number." And you click on the link. You plug in the number. You you do have to answer. You know, put like your birth date or stuff, something like that. Mm. And then up comes the ballot. And oh, wow, you select and then you submit it says sign you basically type in your name we had to like fight to get it so you could just type in your name you type in your name and you submit and it says your ballot has been sent and you're like oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> i'm done <laughs> i'm done i mean it it really takes 5 minutes to do the whole thing um You know, and and I know, you know, there are people who are like, oh, you should go to the polls. But my goodness, to just be able to sit down at my computer five minutes, I voted my ballot. And, you know, and and as you said, you can then track to see if your vote was counted. Um, Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I hope we can get that all across the U.S. because it is the system, I think, that is being used for the military. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
7: Yeah. And and that kind of goes back to Ray's question. I think, and, you know, it, it, what we're looking for is voter integrity, and and the technology is there to create voter integrity, so we don't have anybody double dipping. It. Ray got to throw the jab at you. Because think you used to live in Chicago, so you, you got it in
9: Chicago. You, and why do you, you think I got double- out? <laughs> but although but no, I, lived we're the, for- I lived in the suburbs, we didn't do that
7: in the suburbs. Uh, and you didn't do that in the suburbs. <laughs> but but voter integrity is what we're looking for. Yeah.
1: Okay. As long as it doesn't suppress people.
7: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh-
1: Okay, who's next, Angela? All right, Lynn Corral is next.
10: Hi, Lynn. Hello. Well, Alaska was the first state to enact voting accessible ballots in 2002, March 8th. But, you know, I think what what I'm working with now, and I testified in person today for the first time in many years for the um, state legislature here um, about a bill to of, uh, again, electronic signatures, because that's what I... I was disenfranchised for three years living here in Washington State, and, um, you know, I think that that's a problem for people of color as well, where they don't like their signature or they think the name is different and they they they, they take Peter the Smith... Oh, Smith? Oh, that's the same thing as that Smith. You know, that kind of nonsense. And so I think that there are a lot of... Um, similarities between what I've had to deal with in the last few years, where Mm. they wouldn't take my vote because they didn't like the signature, and no matter what I did, so I went to the voting center in November because I didn't know what else to do, and now I'm on the Accessible Community Advisory Committee, but I think that the intersections of race and disability um, is very important, and we have to think that our rights being disenfranchised are also the rights of people of color being dis-
1: disenfranchised. That's what I have to say. Thank you, Lynn. And yeah, if you have names like Linda Jones, John Smith, um, Juan Lopez, possibly, um, <laughs> what they're doing is just going through and saying, oh, these are all the same people without any research, just zapping those names, especially if they look like they might be foreign or um what is termed African-American names. I don't know what those are, but they think they know. So (laughs) they they zap those. And then you have to re-register, but you may not know it because you've been voting for a while. So that's the kind of voter suppression that's kind of reared its ugly head lately. Okay, who's next? Oh, does anyone else have anything to say to Lynn? So sorry, on the panel. Okay. Who's next, Angela? Okay. Linda Perel. You may. Hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. me amiga, Linda. Hello, hello. Hi, Linda.
13: Hello.
6: Um,
13: hey, Pam. Um, Hi, Linda. So, um, I want to carry on with this topic of um, voter, quote unquote, integrity. Um, I think that there was a, a turning point, a recent turning point, In in our election process in this country, and that was the election of two thousand, in which we all know what we had to go through to finally get a president, and that um, it required that the person who won the popular vote, um, um, you know, uh, give in to the person who did not win the popular vote. Um, and involved everyone up to the Supreme Court. That incident began to sow an increasing amount of doubt in the voting process and the voting and the the integrity of the voting process. Mm -hmm. And there are elements in this country to have taken advantage of that doubt to um, Advocate for voter suppression, for purging the rolls, for all this name matching thing. I don't write my name the same way twice. You know, it's barely (laughs) legible as it is. I'm blind. And um, so that has been an issue that has only grown in frequency. And on the other side of the ledger, the 2020 election, a gentleman oh named God. Chris Krebs was in charge of voter security in the Trump administration. And he declared that there was no, that this was the most secure election we had had. For making that proclamation, he was fired.
1: Mm. Yeah.
13: So we have to be really really careful about voter integrity because it is being used as a sword and a cudgel by people who are frightened of the fact that the demographics in this country are changing and they want to do everything in their power to stop that, stop those folks from voting. So when I hear voter integrity, I hear an underlying dog whistle. Thank
1: you, Linda. <laughs> no, no,
7: notice that I, when I use it, I'm saying that's what we're looking for is voter integrity. But, but as Linda was talking to, and, and 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 when Lynn was talking, we were talking about the signatures, and I, I it ran through my own mind, and, and, and she's right. We don't sign our names the same. But if that is questioned by a sighted person, so I have a little challenge. Uh, sir, close your eyes, or ma'am, close your eyes. Write your name three times, mm-hmm. and open your eyes, and let's see what you get.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Very good, very good. And I just want to remind people, that in the interest of being, of uh, having, you know, really good Zoom manners, to be muted if you're not the one speaking, and you're going to uh, talk. To someone in your house or something. Okay, I think we can take just one more, Angela.
13: Um, Regina, can I say one more thing?
1: Yes. Brenda. I
13: moved to Maine in September, and we have uh, Democracy Live here, too. Oh. It was amazing to sit down and write out the ballot and mail it and not even have to do the sign your name between the two holes on the yes. bottom, on the back. It was fabulous.
1: Well, I'm I'm officially jealous of you. <laughs> just and, for that. This
8: is, this is Gabe and Linda. I just want to say that I did not live in Florida in 2000.
6: <laughs> oh. <laughs> those boxes, those boxes, we have uh, to see. Yes. <laughs> okay. <simple> um, <laughs> one
1: more, Angela,
10: and it is ten to Okay. And Stephanie Watt.
4: Okay,
1: Stephanie.
4: Hey, Stephanie.
5: Okay, Ms. Stephanie. Good evening, everyone. Hey. Good evening. <laughs> well, I apologize deeply because Zoom has kicked me out, and I, I realize I may be totally out of place with this question, um, but it goes back to Ray Campbell um, and Ray... If you're still here, you said you were in favor of voter ID. And no, the opposite. Actually, I think not. Not in favor. Correct.
9: No, I, I actually am a proponent of voter. Oh, I'm proponent. Okay. A, a okay, proponent. Yes.
5: Okay, okay. I've, I've got caveats
9: so, to that, but.
5: And, and so you know, forgive me. I don't want to. You no, know, strike any odd places here, but. Um, I, I'll just be candid. African American, yada yada. I want to know um, if you can explain your position. And I'm not trying to. Uh, seriously, apologies to you, Ray. I'm not. I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just want to understand what that means when you say I'm in favor of oh. you know. Yeah. If, if the panel
9: will allow me, I would be happy to explain. At least how
4: uh, I do this. Two
9: okay. This is, Stephanie, this is how I personally feel about it. I can't speak for anyone else. Okay. First uh-huh. of all, the reason I'm a proponent is you have to have an ID for just about anything else in this country. It shouldn't, why should, why should voting be any different? Uh-huh. My, my caveats, though, on saying I'm a proponent of voter ID is. It needs to be free. We we should not have people having to pay to get IDs just so they can vote. We should not have, we should have a wide variety of IDs accepted as long as it's got your picture and your name. It should be accepted. Those are my two big caveats. I think what I'd be interested in kind of throwing this question back to you and the panel though on have things like requiring ID been used. As tools to suppress votes, um, because what I have seen in places, um, I lived close to Wisconsin for a while, and when Wisconsin went with their voter ID law, we heard all of the different things about concerns about suppression of votes. But you know what they had? What, people, what did everybody do when, the, when it was declared legal by the Supreme Court, their Supreme Court? People went out and got IDs so they could vote. And that showed me that voting was very important to them and they would do whatever they needed to do in order to exercise that sacred right that we all should exercise that many fought and died for. So okay. that's my position. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad you gave me an opportunity. Okay,
3: I, well, I, 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 I want to
5: say, I want to say, I thank you, Ray, as a person participating from the audience, I thank you for um, responding and, you know, it gives me some pause for thought. So, thank you. Um, not to put you on the spot,
1: Stephanie, can you share very, very quickly what happened when you tried to get your birth certificate from Mississippi? Or, or some legal paper, right, from Mississippi? Are you at liberty to share that? I'm not. Okay. Um, I will say that there are people who cannot get records, especially from southern states. Mm. Because of the way that things were recorded and done, there were colored hospitals and regular Mm. hospitals, there were people born at home at high rates. And then there's all these things of where the records were recorded. And I have, yes, known people that cannot get an ID Mm. because they cannot get the birth certificate from certain Mm. states. And Stephanie, they are
9: I'll let go of Stephanie's words, gives me a little pause there. Yeah,
4: excuse me. I have my mom, my 83 year old mom. It took her six months to get her, ID, her birth certificate from from Texas six months because they had to find it.
3: Wow, um, she was born in
4: 1939, they had <laughs> to find her, her, her wow. birth certificate so that she could get her ID and get her driver's license to drive, which she shouldn't be doing. But just to be <laughs> new from driver's license, she had to have her birth certificate. Mm.
9: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting.
4: Interesting. it's hard to get when you're a senior or, and, and you were born in some of these southern states, it is very hard to get your birth certificates because they can't find them. You were born at home, all kinds of issues. Well,
6: may I say and it's guys...
4: with college students. Didn't they tell some college students that you had to have this ID, but you couldn't go with this ID.
5: Yes. Mm. Stephanie, real quick, sorry. Real, real quick, may I say this? If, for whatever reason, you didn't realize on your birth certificate, your name was incorrectly spelled, and you, you just went mm. along in life spelled correctly mm. everywhere you went, and you tried to do something and found it was incorrectly spelled, mm. the uh, point is if there is a mistake because that it, it's a mistake people didn't intentionally sure. do that that presents a lot of problems that young people in college or older people for whatever reason didn't catch and that's where getting ids and things in order become a problem and i, mm-hmm. I welcome the dialogue that's all i'm that was my purpose, for Ray, for asking the question. Is to start Stephanie, the dialogue.
9: I welcome the dialogue too. And I think mm-hmm. we, we all should welcome dialogue on any mm-hmm. subject and be able to speak candidly with each other. And I appreciate the perspective. Thank,
1: you, Thank so much. you I appreciate your answer. Thank you so much, guys. In the interest of time, I am going to have to call this to a close. We just have about 30 seconds for everybody to wrap up. I will not have comments, so you guys go ahead. Pam, Michael, and Gabe.
4: Okay, 30 seconds. In order to make sure that we keep this country a democracy, everybody, and I mean everybody, has the right to vote in this country, and we need to make sure that we keep and work to keep that in place.
3: Thank you. Michael?
7: Everybody has the right to vote, and everybody should exercise that right. My, my motto is vote, but vote intelligently.
12: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, and, Gabe?
7: And
8: my, my message uh, is to open up your ears and listen. To what elected officials stand for, and what they are—the messaging that they are sending out there. So when you go to cast your vote, you uh, you do it following the principles that you believe in, and not only that, but don't wait until federal elections. Democracy starts in your own neighborhood. So vote in every single election possible.
1: Yep. Thank you, Gabe. And remember, the wise Martin Luther King said, it's not one party or the other. It's what the people stand for, like Gabe said. And Cheryl, do you want to close us out?
2: <laughs> other than to say thank you, and as always, very thought-provoking um, presentation and discussion. So thank you, Regina, Michael, Pam, Gabe, and everyone who attended and, and asked questions.
1: And we never seem to have enough time. And I appreciate everyone's participation. And hopefully this won't be the last
3: discussion.